Welcome back to the Warped and Wicked Podcast. I'm Crystal. I'm Jenny. And I'm Jennifer. Hi, spooky friends. Welcome to the final installment of our Herb Baumeister series. Dun, dun, dun. I'm so glad we're here. We have finally arrived. <laughs> so, in the last episode, Julie, Herb's wife, agrees to let the police search the property thank goodness yes thank Thank goodness (laughs) (laughs) and herb escaped to canada Mm -hmm. this is while the police searched his property and this was at the end of june in 1996 Mm -hmm. wasn't this the same year as the olympics yeah yeah i think it was in georgia wasn't it at the time yeah and they came through indiana i had a shirt and everything See, my mind just keeps getting blown blown from all this shit. Yeah. Like, as they're carrying the torch through fucking Indiana. <laughs> yep. It's like the greatest parts of humanity and the worst parts of humanity all at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. Okay. Well, <laughs> while the Olympics are going on in Georgia at this time, I think it was Georgia. It was. Atlanta. You want to know how I know that? How's this? Jeff Foxworthy stand up. Oh, my God. From the 90s. I believe that. (laughs) So while that was going on, Herb was in Grand Bend, Ontario. On July 2nd, a Canadian trooper found him sleeping in his car under a bridge. And so she stopped to ask him, why? Why, though? And Herb told her that he was simply a tourist passing through and became extremely tired during his drive. And so he pulled over to catch a nap before continuing on his trip. So the trooper noted that, and she also noted some luggage and what appeared to be a large pile of videotapes in the backseat of the car. Oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. That just doesn't sit well. No. No. Something's a little suspicious. (laughs) He's got the tapes. He's got the tapes. And the bitch of all this is that these tapes would never be found. That's freaking frustrating. It makes me sick to my stomach to think about it. The police believe that Herb dumped all these tapes in a river or a lake after this encounter with the trooper. So these tapes are most likely just sitting at the bottom of a lake where people enjoy recreational activities at. Well, as we've learned, especially from the Green River Killer, Mm -hmm. people who enjoy recreational activities outdoors most likely will stumble upon something some kind of of evidence evidence. (laughs) more than likely in plastic tends to live for a very long time so they're still there i mean and no one's all the rivers and lakes in ontario canada no one's found them no i mean he couldn't have gone that far off the shore yeah and i mean he didn't travel very far we're gonna find out in this next part but he didn't go very far so they're around there somewhere so the very next day on july 3rd in pinery park herb put a 357 magnum revolver to his forehead and he pulled the trigger ensuring he would never face the consequences of taking the lives of so many innocent men he left behind a three-page suicide note attributing his decision to his failing business and looming divorce He never mentioned the men he lured to his home or the scattered remains on his property. 
and he ended the note with he was going to eat a peanut butter sandwich and go to sleep. Oh, and he apologized for the mess he was getting ready to leave in the park. <laughs> God, your face right now. Is I just... don't even know what to say to this. Did he want someone to feel sorry for him a little bit? Like, I'm going to eat a peanut butter sandwich. Like, I'm going <laughs> to I'm gonna eat so I'm not starving later after I kill myself. <laughs> like, what the fuck is that? Sorry, that might have sounded like really insensitive but it's okay just like no you know what fuck that guy because he didn't he didn't give a shit about anybody that he killed oh clearly but also like you're not gonna be around to face the consequences like we're gonna care about making a mess in a park but we're not gonna care about all these people yeah that cared about these men that died so to me there's two things to this it's a this continued facade obviously of what he wants people to think of him and what he really is yeah and it's also i just don't understand it just (sighs) exemplifies like the depths of his depravity Mm -hmm. that he knows he's going out but he's still going to make sure that some of these families don't know where their children are like, how fucked up is that? Like, you, there's, like, not one ounce of humanity in him. Mm-mm. Because if there was, I mean, for one, he wouldn't have fucking done the things he did. But he would have at least given somebody some form of comfort or resolve. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, uh, what's the word? Closure. Closure. So he's still, like, in essence, he's still torturing people. Mm-hmm. And the man's been dead for going on 27 years now. Wow. It's fucking crazy. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to tell you where he's buried at, but you can figure that out for yourselves. And I'm not saying you go and do anything to his grave. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm really, I'm not, I'm not wanting people to do anything because that's just pointless. Yeah. You know, but he is buried in an unmarked grave close to where his parents were laid to rest, which is far better than the resting places he gave his victims. He has a spot close to his parents. In a cemetery. And some of these men are still in an office waiting to be identified. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, and that is gut-wrenching. Here you are getting the burial Mm -hmm. that all of these men deserved. Mm -hmm. Jesus. And they're just in a fucking lab somewhere, in a box of some sort, waiting to be identified. Mm. I mean, we're only a couple minutes into this episode, so obviously this isn't where the case ends, because, dear Lord, no, it's not. And I, um, there's quite a few, (laughs) like, where the fuck do you even... Yeah, there's just a lot. Yeah. (laughs) So, it's hard to decide where to start the rest of this episode at. So, there are still several men who are believed to have been victims of Herb Baumeister. And two of these men are Alan Livingston and Jerry Williams Comer. It's like Williams hyphen Comer. So Alan went missing in the summer of 1993, just before his 28th birthday. His mother Sharon said, He was always happy, and he never had a bad word to say about anybody. He was just a wonderful person. Alan wasn't the type to go very long without contacting his mother, which I can only hope that my sons will be the same way. So when she hadn't heard from him for several days, she reported him missing. 
and this always breaks my heart when I hear stories like this. Sharon's kept the same landline phone number for the last 30 years just in case Alan's out there somewhere Aww. and wants to call. Oh, he's so sad. <laughs> like, that I'm trying not to, I'm laughing because I'm trying not to cry. That is awful. Yeah. Ugh. But Sharon does believe that Alan was a victim of her Baumeister. And she's hoping that with the renewed investigation that started last year that she'll know for certain. Which I can understand why she would feel this way. Like, obviously, I can't put myself in her place because I don't know this pain. Right. I feel like, especially after 30 years, you would rather just know for sure than to be uncertain. Mm -hmm. And Sharon's 76 years old, so time might run out before she knows for sure. Mm -hmm. And I was reading an article on WTHR's website. I guess her nephew called the Hamilton County Coroner's Office a few months before this interview to ask what could be done to figure out if Alan was one of the victims. Yeah. And this is what led coroner-elect Jeff Jellison to reopen the case. Like, this phone call is what caused him to reopen the case. I just got goosebumps. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And Jerry Williams Comer was 34 years old when he went missing on August 8th, 1995. His partner, Ray, has not seen him since. And sometime after his disappearance, Jerry's vehicle was discovered abandoned in the parking lot of Castleton Square Mall in Indianapolis. I bet it was Sears. I bet it was. It was the Sears parking lot. Mm -hmm. Those sons of bitches. Isn't that just insane? Like, when you hear, like, these stories, (laughs) it's hard to picture, like, some of these cities and places because we've never been there. Right. But, like, this shit is just, like, crazy Mm -hmm. because we've been there. So there's several more men whose families believe that they're... They were victims of Herb. That's just two stories out of the many. Remember that second string of murders I brought up in part one? Yeah. Have you ever heard of the I-70 Strangler? I have. You know how wild that fucking story is. Right. So for those of you listening that don't know, the I-70 Strangler is an unidentified serial killer who murdered at least 12 boys and men in Indiana and Ohio between June 1980 and October 1991. Mm. This killer met his victims in popular gay bars or other similar places within a four-block radius in Indianapolis. And all of these victims were found naked or partially clothed near Interstate 70. They were often dumped in rivers, streams, and ditches in the countryside. Every single victim was strangled to death. And we're going to list out all 12 victims and a little bit about them. The first victim was 15-year-old Michael Petrie, and despite his age, he was a sex worker. His body was discovered in Hamilton County in 1980. 23-year-old Maurice Taylor was found in Hamilton County in 1982. Maurice was a vagrant who lived in the boiler room of an Indianapolis apartment complex, and due to his financial struggles, he would offer sexual favors outside of gay bars in the city. And it's just hammering home like, This rich businessman took advantage of people. Well, he wasn't a rich businessman at this time, but someone from a wealthy family took advantage of people that were like in desperate need of money. Mm -hmm. The next victim was 14-year-old Delvoid Lee Baker. He was found near a river in Hamilton County in 1982. He was last seen getting into a van near the downtown library, and he was the youngest victim of all these. 
22-year-old Michael Andrew Riley disappeared in 1983 after visiting the Vogue Theater, which is a nightclub in Indianapolis. Eight days later, his body was found in a ditch in Hancock County, southeast of Greenfield. Mm. In February 1998, an Indianapolis resident contacted the police and claimed that Herb Baumeister was the mysterious man who was photographed leaving the Vogue Theater with Michael Riley in 1983. But that has never been proven. 17-year-old Eric Allen Roger was found near a stream in Preble County, Ohio, in 1985. According to his parents, Eric was planning to attend interviews for a summer job on the day of his disappearance, but he didn't attend any of them. His friends and relatives denied that he was gay, which is whatever. So witnesses claimed they had seen Eric at a bus stop in the early morning of March 7th, but instead of waiting for the bus, he accepted a ride from a passing car. Again, luring children. 29-year-old Michael Allen Glenn was found near a ditch near Eaton, Ohio in 1986. He had worked as a handyman, and he wouldn't be identified until three years after he was discovered. So I'm just curious if, like, he maybe did some work for Herb, and that's how they wound up meeting. Possibly. That's how Herb got him in his clutches. 21-year-old James Robbins went missing in 1987 after leaving his mother's home in Indianapolis. Two days later, his body was found in a ditch in rural Shelby County, south of Gwynville. Jean Paul Talbot's body was found near a stream in Defiance County, Ohio, in 1989. It didn't have his age when I was looking him up, so. 26-year-old Stephen L. Elliott was found in 1989 in rural Preble County, Ohio. His father told police that when his son came out as gay in 1979, he left the family house and became involved in sex work and developed an alcohol addiction. 32-year-old Clay Russell Boatman disappeared in 1990 after leaving his apartment to visit Our Place, which was a local gay bar. His body was found in a ditch near Eaton, Ohio, by a group of children. Clay was a licensed practical nurse. 19-year-old Thomas Clevenger Jr. was found at an abandoned railroad track near Greenville, Ohio, in 1990. And 42-year-old Otto Gary Becker was found in a ditch next to a gravel road in rural Henry County, Indiana, in October 1991. Mm. To this day, there's no physical evidence that has linked Herb to the I-70 Strangler victims, but I kind of wonder if they would be able to test any of the ligatures found with some of the victims for Herb's DNA. You know, because this is the 80s. This is before DNA was like a known thing. And, I mean, Herb just doesn't seem like the guy to wear gloves when he's murdering someone. So I just wonder if like somehow like off of his skin... They could get DNA off the ligatures. Yeah, I'm like, to and test it. what did he use? Did he use a hose? I did think I read with some of the victims there was fabric. Okay. But probably not every time either. Yeah. So I was just kind of curious when I was typing that up if that would be a thing. I'm sure the cops have thought of it, I would like to think, or the investigators have thought of it, but you never know. But, you know, all these victims share similarities with Herb's known victims. They were all strangled. And Julie confirmed all of Herb's Dayton business trips coincided with the bodies that were found in Ohio. It's also very interesting that the bodies stopped being dumped along I-70 right after Herb and Julie bought their home at Fox Hollow Farm. Wow. So, if this is the case, he starts killing in 1980. 
He doesn't have a big property. So he's dumping the bodies along I-70. Yeah. Then they get the property. And the initial bodies of the victims that he killed there are further, they're even on the neighbor's property. And then they slowly come up to the house. So it's like a like a timeline of events. Mm-hmm. Like they're further out, close to an interstate initially, and then they're right up next to the house. Yeah. And so obviously this was before they got married. Mm-hmm. And Or no, it was after they got married. After Maybe. they got married, but yeah. before they bought the house. Yeah. Okay. And he already had a kid. He already had one kid because the first kid was born in 79. So he was already a father, which isn't too shocking because there's several serial killers that are fathers. So there's that. But we're not done because Fox Hollow Farm has been on several paranormal shows, which makes sense. There's probably, if you believe in that sort of thing, which I believe to some sort of an extent, there's a lot of bad energy and a lot of Uh ghosts. Yeah, going on on the farm. Mm Mm-hmm. So, you know, at some point, I think it was shortly after all of this shit was found out, Julie and the kids moved out of the house. Yeah. I don't know where they went exactly, but they moved. And I don't blame them. So a family bought the property. Their last name is Graves, which, appropriate. (laughs) Uh, So they wound up purchasing the property. And they began noticing some unusual things. Oh, yeah? Well, I don't doubt that, but... What kind of things? Vicky and Rob Graves reported they saw ghosts and heard strange knocks, like, all the time. Hmm. It started one day when Vicky was trying to vacuum up gravel in the pool room, and the vacuum kept getting unplugged. And this happened three times without a real reason to it. You know, because, like, sometimes it gets unplugged if you go sure. too far. Yeah. You know. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, obviously, that's the pool room is where everybody probably died. Yeah. The couple also had a roommate named Joe. I think he worked with Rob, and he was needing somewhere to stay for a while. So he was renting a room on the property. And Joe said that one day there were strange, loud knocks at the front door with no one in sight when he answered it. And then one day, when Vicky came home from work, she noticed a man in a red t-shirt standing in their yard. When he turned and walked away from her, she realized she couldn't see this man's legs. Then suddenly he disappeared. Vicky and Rob walked over to the area where the man had been and found nothing. And that's when Rob decided to install security cameras in the hopes of catching the stranger if he ever came back. Okay, yeah. I wonder if ghosts show up on security cameras. As orbs. As orbs, yes. Yeah. And then another night, when Joe was walking his dog, he heard something in the woods. And the dog stopped with his ears standing straight up like he was listening to something. And as they headed back towards the house, Joe saw a man in a red t-shirt. The stranger turned and headed towards the woods and disappeared. But Joe's dog gave chase to this man. And of course, Joe chased after his dog because he didn't know, like, what the man would do to his dog. Yeah. So, but can you fucking imagine? No, that's freaky as hell. that would have to be. Because you're kind of out in the middle of nowhere. At this time, Westfield was very underdeveloped. At most, or at least, I guess... There's a fucking strange man on the property that yeah. you don't know. Yeah. And you're chasing after your dog and hoping that, like, this man doesn't hurt your dog. So while Joe's in a full sprint, he comes face to face with a stranger. And he immediately turned around and ran for the house. And the dog soon followed. <laughs> so when Joe gets back, he tells Vicky and Rob what he saw. And they realized he was seeing the same man that they saw it's, before. Oh, wow. The same fucking ghost. With no legs. 
there were several other occurrences that the families reported, but just reading, like, those situations scared the shit out of me. Like, the hair on the back of my neck was standing up. Mm. Some creepy shits. And there's several shit, like, if you want to watch them. I couldn't sit through those. And it's very strange, because, like, I can watch Dahmer on Netflix all yeah. day long, but yeah. I can't do paranormal shit. <laughs> I can't do demonic possession. The exorcism of Emily Rose scares the living shit out of me. <laughs> Like, I can't do it. So like we said earlier, there's been a renewed investigation to identify the rest of the remains that were found at Fox Hollow Farm. And some of the people involved in this investigation is the Hamilton County Coroner's Office and its task force. And that includes members from the IMPD Missing Persons Division and the Indiana State Police Biology Unit, as well as the University of Indianapolis's Archaeology and Forensic Lab. I just wanted to, like name drop them because these are people that are working diligently to identify these men. Yeah. It's now believed that there were a total of 25 sets of remains found on the property. So there's 17 victims that still need to be identified. You know, in part two, I said that they identified two new victims and I actually misread the article and I apologize, guys. The article actually said that out of the eight victims who were initially identified, Two of them had their remains returned to their families recently. Got it. Okay. So I just wanted to state that I was wrong on that, but yeah. It's okay. We forgive you. Thank you. (laughs) So one additional bone has been found on the property in the renewed search for remains. And there's like 20 different areas that were noted on the property as possibly having remains buried underneath. And I did see in an article that whenever the Graves family finds a bone on their property, that they take it directly to the Forensic Anthropology Lab at University of Indianapolis in the hopes that one day they'll be identified. Mm. I was talking to my husband about it, and I'm like, they're doing the right thing, but, like, can you imagine? Well, like, I mean, did they know the property they were buying? I was wondering this last night because I was like, I feel like... You have to tell people that as a realtor. They, and they got it at a very discounted price, like a third of what they wanted initially, of what Julie wanted initially, was paid. So I'm assuming they knew. But even if they didn't know right off the bat, they figured it out really quick. If they didn't know, is this the kind of life they bargained for? Mm-hmm. Like, we're going to spend all this? Because, I, I mean, shit. If I found a bone on my property and I figured out, like, what actually was going on Mm -hmm. i'd be like obsessed with it you know what i mean like my whole yard would be dug up oh yeah and Mm -hmm. it would become my life like Mm -hmm. did they know what they were (laughs) getting themselves into or yeah or even if they did know because like before they bought it like they weren't they probably didn't think i'm gonna be finding bones nearly three decades later yeah you know what i mean yeah okay so wait the family's finding all of these bones and they're taking him to a laboratory. So the cops just stopped searching? Obviously, at some point, they had to stop searching. And there's still bones. Okay, but they just started again. Yes. It's I am so fucking ir- It's fucking irritating. Because, because why did they stop? Yeah. Why did they stop mm-hmm. searching? And then they obviously I- keep finding stuff during this whole time. And now, here we are in 2023... And they're back. They're back on the property. Because somebody called. This is, like, very confusing. I know. That's because <laughs> when I started looking into this case, I seriously was like, 
I was like yelling, yelling at my husband. That's why like my, the timeline in my head doesn't make sense. Cause I'm like, okay, when did these people buy this property? And they keep turning in bones to yeah. the forensics. And now the cops weren't involved. Like, oh yeah, we know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> is that what, is that the reaction? Well, the, and the thing is too, like you and i'm is it or is it because the guy is dead there's nothing there's nothing you can do to prosecute him right but because if he was still alive this is what i this is my opinion if herb was still alive it'd be different it would be different there would have been a trial he would have been charged with at least eight murders and i feel like there would have been more of a push to identify the remaining three bodies that they thought they had. Because remember, they at first they thought they only had 11. And now we're up to 25 somehow. But just out of those 11, I feel like there would have been more of a push to identify those last three sets of remains. Mm-hmm. And with Herb dead, they wound up identifying eight of those 11, and it was done. And nothing was said about it again. And then somebody made a phone call towards the end of 2022 saying, how do we give my 76-year-old aunt the closure of where her son is at? Mm -hmm. And they're like, bam, we need to open up this investigation again and start asking for DNA samples from families. Now, I will say DNA has come a long way even from the mid-90s. Yeah, I will say that. And like genealogy shit. Yep. I'm sure it's very time consuming and the technology is a lot better now. But I'm just saying like it frustrated me really bad when I started doing research on this. And I was like, why the fuck have we let these bones sit here for 20 over 25 years uh-huh. not being identified? Now, again, I will say you can get the DNA from the bones, but if you don't have anything to match it up against... What the fuck are you going to do? Yeah. There's really nothing you can do. Mm-hmm. But it's just very interesting that now we have a call to action to request DNA samples from family members who think that they're... Yeah. Just now. Yeah. Just, just yeah. literally now. Yeah. In the present moment, this mm-hmm. is happening. Yeah. I'm trying to be nice. <laughs> I'm I really sorry am. for making you go down this route. No, it's a good thing you <laughs> did bring it up because it's a fucking thing that I'm sure... Like, I totally spaced, like, how boggled my mind was when i first started looking at this i'm like why the fuck have we been letting these bones sit for so long Mm -hmm. but yeah i feel like if you don't have the dna to match that's hard but i also feel like if you have never investigated a case that's 25 years old so i'm not saying that like if you don't have people that are rallying for these right victims Mm mm-hmm i mean you really don't have anything well i mean and another thing i could think to maybe figure out whose dna you need would be let's look at the missing persons from this This time time frame frame in the 1990s and yeah yeah, and then start figuring out family members and reaching out to them would be the only other thing i could think that they could have done so chief deputy and coroner elect and by this point in time maybe he is the coroner now (laughs) his name's jeff jellison He is requesting that anyone from Indiana and any nearby states who have male relatives who went missing in the mid-80s to mid-90s, he's asking them to provide a DNA sample 
that will be compared to the samples from the nearly 10,000 bone fragments found on the Baumeister property. So anyone who thinks they're related to a missing person connected to this case should contact the coroner's office at 317-770-4415. And we're also, we'll put that information in the show notes in case you're driving down the road. The test is simple. It just involves swabbing the inside of the cheek and it's at no cost to the person giving the DNA sample. Even if you live out of state, they will get a kit to you. Mm -hmm. And so far, investigators have received 31 DNA samples from as far away as Alaska. Wow. And in January of 2023, the FBI is donating tens of thousands of dollars through a Saki grant. And that stands for Sexual Assault Kit Initiative. Mm -hmm. And this provides funding, you know, to support multidisciplinary community response teams to test previously unsubmitted sexual assault kits which is great because that is a problem in this country, but it can also help with collecting and testing lawfully owned DNA for like investigations like this. Exactly. This is going to allow private labs to start matching the DNA that they've already obtained right away. So hopefully here soon, there will be several families that will get the closure that they desperately deserve in this case. So hopefully there'll be more coming out within this year. That would be amazing. Thank you so much, Jenny, for all of your research that you did on Herb Baumeister. What a wild case that was. We hope you learned a lot. And hopefully this case will eventually be closed at some point. Yeah. So thank you all for listening. We hope you enjoyed this series on Herb Baumeister. If you did, go ahead and share it with a friend. Give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and Spotify to help new listeners find us. Until next time, stay safe and stay spooky, friends.